happy Wednesday. Today is actually June 10th, 2020, and what a what a year this has been. I have uh, had the opinion, low, low opinion of this year. However, um, I'm finding that has changed, and I believe this is the year where we finally as a country figure our shit out and change the white supremacy model of which this country was founded built upon and continued for the last five four five hundred years so I am ready. I've been doing work for many years and I always learn new things and I'm not going to stop. And I hope my fellow white allies are in that boat. This isn't a, um, you know, one week long muted, put some quotes up, potentially go on a march type of thing. It is a daily daily reprieve that we need to be doing um you know i am a member of alcoholics anonymous and someone once told me that while while we're in meetings our alcoholism is in the parking lot doing push-ups and i believe that same can be said for racism and white supremacy um that it's something we have to work on daily to rid our souls and our hearts and our systemic thinking and teaching it's a a matter of unlearning um you know kind of at some level too it talks in in glennon doyle's book untamed right she's talking about becoming untamed we have to unlearn that which was taught to us and and relearn and i believe that's why so many people have a hard time with this because it goes against what they've been taught (laughs) you know what was fed to us in, in school So it is very hard to wrap your head around something um, that is in complete, like, opposite of what was was taught to you when you really dig in deep and see um, the systemic issues here and how that isn't just, doesn't just go away. It is, there's a dismantling and rebuilding that needs to happen. So I am hopeful I'm cautiously hopeful um, as I've heard many of the black community leaders in my city which is in Seattle um, you know talk about they're going to try to you know give concessions you know a little bit here and a little bit there and and that will that will be from small governments of your of your city and your mayor and your city council all the way up into Uh, Congress, and that is not good enough, right? Um, And I heard another amazing community leader, so I was listening to Nikita Oliver, and I I, uh, do not remember the gentleman's name, but he said, you know, there are some officers, you know, there's obviously some officers around the country taking a knee uh, with the protesters, and, and he said, you know, it's great if you want to take a knee, but it's time to pay the fee. And that fee is in the form of reparations, of, of land, of, of resources, um, obviously of equality and justice and reform. And that's what's needed. Anything less than that 
And that's just kind of the minimum, right? But anything less than that is is um, a slap in the face. So I will keep it up. Um, it's June. It's, it's almost summertime. It is a time where um, my family typically spends the weekends camping. And my husband asked me this morning if we were going to head out on Saturday morning to camp. And I said, no. I had to hit the streets again. It's not, it's not over. It's working. You can see it. You can feel it. But it's not enough. And we're not there yet. So I won't be, you know, going out on vacation and, and living my life until everybody in this country has true equality and opportunities. And we start to see the results of dismantling that systemic oppression um, and racism and white supremacy in this country. Anything less I feel would be um, just a big fucking cop out on my part. And this is something that I have had in my heart for for as long as I can remember. Um, And it's lip service if there is an action behind um, my words. So that is what I'm going to say about that today and I will spend the rest of this podcast um, talking about relationships which is why I started it and it's been hard to want to focus back on work um, and and my my calling in life which is to help couples um, when right now there feels like there's a really big this is a big moment and a movement that feels so much more important um, but at the same time people always need need help and support and what a lot of I'm fighting for is to help that family system stay um, healthy and intact so we are raising um, just better humans in the world so I thought today I could spend some time talking a little bit about um, masters of relationships and disasters of relationships Um, and where that term comes from is actually from um, Doctors John and Julie Gottman and the Gottman Institute. And they uh, interviewed and had 3,000 couples come through their research lab in the uh, 80s. And they spent the night there and they were observed. They, um, these couples had um, urine samples. They had uh, blood samples, you know, testing for stress hormones, uh, they were hooked up to pulse oximeters, and they were um, watched and recorded. So everything they said, facial expression they made, was recorded and documented by research assistants. And when you were finished with this love lab experiment, they would put you into one of two categories. You either fell into the masters of relationships category or the disasters And when I tell couples that, I always have a little bit of a laugh behind it because it sounds like so different, right? If you're a master, you must be killing it. You must be just like the best at relationships. And if you're a disaster, like, holy cow, what is wrong with you? And really, it's just subtle differences, you know? And also, like, the most important factor in this, too, is that, you know, just because you are, you know, put in that disaster category, that does not mean that your relationship is over. Um, You can get 
um, and work yourself through practice and intention and energy and effort into that master's category. Um, work, obviously, like I said, needs to happen, but it is possible. So let's just break that down a little bit of what what were the differences, you know? And the biggest difference really was the ratio of positive to negative interactions, okay? So we have a ratio that we um, use when we talk in the Gottman Method, which is a five to one. So we wanna see five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. Now, why is that? Well, because negative interactions are so much more powerful. Negative interactions stay with us and it takes our brain longer to process them. So a, hap- a you know, positive interaction can kind of like, woo, yay, that was great, and then we move on. A negative interaction, we can have physiological responses within our body. Um, you know, depending upon if we had trauma, we can have a really uh, big trigger. We tend to ruminate um, and and sit with it and replay it and replay it sometimes and retell a hist- retell like a revisionist history around what happened. Um, it can affect our sleep, right? It could do all of these things. So it's so much more powerful. And if we've had you know the five to one and we've really stuck to that and done really well in that ratio, then you know we have this reserve. Because if you think about the five to one, it's like if I have five and then I have one, I've I've like ba- I've like zeroed it out. So I need to have more and more and more positive interactions. I need to have an overflowing uh, reserve, so that when we have conflict and it is a negative experience and a negative interaction, I have this reserve to go off of, and I can get through it easier. But if when couples come into counseling, they're at like a a one-to-one or really what they found was like a 0.8 to one. So 0.8 positive interactions for every one negative. And that's not okay. That is going to get you into trouble. That is going to make conflict nearly impossible to manage effectively. Because we are in a negative sentiment, we are looking at things in a very negative light. We do not have that reserve to pull from. We don't have these positive experiences where we're thinking really like good thoughts about our partner and giving them positive intent and feeling like, okay, we can get through this. We are starting to look at our partner as more of the enemy. So that's got to stop. We need that positive to negative ratio to be at that five to one level. So that was the very, that was like the first thing. That's the first thing I tell my couples. And we go back to that very often, you know, and I really try to drive that home so that they can see it on their own as well. So masters also had a really great ability to take responsibility um, for their role in something, right? So if if I started off a conversation in a, in a harsh manner, could I back that up and say, you know what, <laughs> that was not okay. I'm going to try that again. Or if my husband told me that something I said really hurt his feelings, instead of minimizing, you know, him and his feelings or um, telling him that's not what happened, if I instead could, you know, validate his experience and say, you know what, I could totally see that I... I I came at you in a pretty, pretty harsh way. You know, that, that kind of ends it that then we can keep moving on, right? When they talk about what they feel and what they need, 
when couples are able to do that, that shows you're more in that master's area because you're able to really identify your feelings. You're able to state your feelings and that I feel, right? And then you're able to ask for what you need. When couples can do that, we would also say they are in that master's category. Positive interactions. Um, and part of why that's important is because it keeps our habit of mind in a positive space. So we are looking for and scanning for what is going right in the relationship. And again, that's because of these positive interactions. When we're at a deficit, we tend to look the other for the other. We're looking for what's going wrong. Again, we're, uh, masters very often use I statements, right? I feel versus you do this, you do that, you never, you always, um, which are more critical and you statements, blaming statements that come out. So an example of like an I statement, which I really, I remember <laughs> hearing, I have it written down in my notes from probably one of my very first Scotman um, trainings, which says, you know, I really miss you. Do you remember last week when we cuddled on the couch? I really enjoyed that. When can we do that again? Right, that is a soft startup. That is, here's how I'm feeling. Like, I really miss you. I'm feeling like I want to be close with you. I want to connect with you. And do you remember when we did this thing? It felt really good and I'd like to do that again. So those were, those are some examples of what they, as the researchers, saw in couples where they would then say, yeah, I think these couples fall into that master category. They're doing these things right. And a lot of these things are actually in that conflict section, which is interesting. They're able to manage their conflict effectively, which tells me that they have a pretty strong foundation um, when it comes to friendship and intimacy. They're putting probably a lot more intention, effort, and energy because those three things are needed in order to manage conflict effectively. And then they're also needed when we're building our foundation um, of appreciation and affection and intimacy, um, those daily habits we're creating and putting energy, effort, and attention into. So it shows me that's happening. It shows me that's also happening within the conflict space as well. And it's easier to do, again, because there's more positive interactions than negative. Okay, so that's a master. Now we move into the disasters, and which is always funny because I would have couples read... Um, the seven principles to making marriage work and they would always come in after reading like the first first two chapters and like well we're a disaster <laughs> so do we just end it now um and it's like no 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 the rest of the book <laughs> explains how you get from that place to the master's place it gives you all of um the tools and the language and exercises in which when you do that um, and alongside of working with the therapist to help process some potential old resentments, you can get into that, um, that master's type of relationship. So one of the main things, again, we noticed with the disasters, less positive interactions, right? They had the more of the, the one-to-one, or if you would, the 0.8-to-one, or even less. And I also find that a lot of times couples have a lot of neutral interactions, so it's not necessarily that they... Uh, you know, only are having negative, but it's like the absence of positive 
you know, or even if it's the absence of negative, if they're just neutral, we're not adding anything into the bank account. So for having neutral, 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 a negative, a neutral, neutral, positive, a neutral, a negative, a negative, like we're still in that deficit. The neutral isn't connecting. The neutral is just I'm sharing space with this person. So that's another really important factor to keep in mind that they actually really need to be positive. It's not just the absence of negative. So I'm going to tell you this amazing term, which is like my favorite thing to say. So what they noticed about couples that they then put into the disasters category was that they displayed these four negative communication patterns. And they term these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Dun, dun, dun. Love this term because it just drives home like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like that's how negative these and, and corrosive and damaging these communication patterns are into a marriage, into a relationship. And we got to get these out. And the cool thing about them is each and every one of them has an antidote. So with energy, attention, and effort, intention, <laughs> energy, intention, and effort, we can change these, right? Sometimes we might throw out a, a, a criticism and then we pull it back in. And over time with more and more practice, then we start to eliminate that criticism and have a soft startup instead. But it takes practice. It takes intention. So... Let's go through real quickly the four horsemen. So we have our first horseman, which is criticism. It's often how we are bringing up an issue. It's not necessarily hostile. We're just kind of trying to help our partner out, <laughs> but we're pointing out what's wrong, right? We're telling our partner what they're not doing enough of or what they always do, which we don't like. And, you know, it's this great intention. I'm just, well, I'm, you know, and then you hear the term, constructive constructive criticism and I loved it Dr. Gottman said once like there is just no such thing I mean probably maybe in other fields sure whatever but in in a relationship it's not it's just criticism that's it it's just criticism so just keep that in mind it's not you're not being constructive here you're literally just criticizing um, so again it's in those you more of those you statements and it's how you're bringing up an issue but you're typically not bringing it up with your feelings so your antidote is to have a soft startup is to talk from the I place you know I feel like we stated above I really miss you right so a criticism to that same statement and you'll see how I'm saying the same thing I'm gonna get a different result right so instead of saying I really miss you can we go cuddle on the couch you might say something like you're always home late you don't care about me. What's wrong with you? Right? You're not going to get the same response from your partner. You're probably going to get a defensive remark and potentially a counterattack. Now, if we move into the third horseman, we start talking around this concept called contempt. So the third horseman, contempt. Contempt is really the most dangerous of all all of the horsemen it's actually the biggest predictor of divorce you know this is what we would see or say would be a direct insult it would be as though you were coming from a place of superiority and your habit of mind would be in that state of really looking for what is wrong 
know, they, uh, Dr. Gottman would say, too, that it's like throwing sulfuric acid on your relationship. And the most dangerous of all is when you mix anger and contempt. Contempt is the one where I get really concerned when I see it in a, in a marriage because it has really started to erode the friendship and intimacy levels of the house. Because how can you like, care about me, respect me when you speak to me that way? How is that even possible? So our friendship and our intimacy is starting to become eroded. We start losing trust. So it really just wreaks havoc on the whole house when you have contempt. So the antidote is one that for me is almost like you really got to be proactive with this antidote, which is creating a culture of appreciation. It is hard (laughs) to go from being contemptuous to, you know, all of a sudden having this uh, culture of appreciation. You know, being called names is going to uh, be hard to let go of. It's not that it's impossible, but I will tell you when contempt starts to creep in, I do get nervous and I do let the couples know, like we got a lot of work to do. This isn't good. So that is the one I would say, if that has not entered into your relationship, I would highly encourage you to be really mindful to not let that one creep in. And when you see it right away, we need to call it out. Put the kibosh on that. And our fourth and final um, horseman is called stonewalling. Stonewalling is interesting and it, um, you know, Dr. Gottman would say it's typically something that men do more often than women. However, I've seen women who stonewall as well. Um, Stonewalling is a way to, for the the person to like self-soothe, right? So they have like shut down from the conversation. They have crossed their arms. They look down to the ground. They've literally disengaged from the conversation. It is their way of self-soothing physiologically and protecting themselves. You know, it's like, all right, it's getting scary in here. I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to shut down. Now, the problem with that is that the partner, it's probably going to enrage partner or make the partner more upset when a person shuts down when you're in the middle of having a conversation you know sometimes someone wants to uh, see you have a reaction so they will push and they will push and they will push because at least if you react and it's negative at least you're reacting so the stonewalling can make someone just get super upset um, because it's like well done I'm not even I'm not even going to give you that satisfaction to engage with this So the antidote to stonewalling is a a tool we teach, which is called taking a time out, right? So clearly physiological, physiologically, you are like overwhelmed and aroused and your heart rate is up. So you need the break. But instead of just shutting down and not saying I need a break, you know, to be able to say, hey, I'm feeling flooded. I need to take a time out. And then you take a time out. And if you're the partner, you allow the timeout to happen, right? That's the respect we give. This person is saying they need a timeout. I tell my clients this all the time. What you don't want to do is say, uh, well, I'm not flooded. 
right? You also don't want to tell your partner if that you think they're flooded, right? You don't want to say, well, you're flooded. You need to take a time out. Um, you want to speak for yourself. You want to say what you need. And then you need to take a time out. And then you need to go and intentionally self-soothe for a minimum of 20 minutes. A maximum 24 hours. And then you have to go back and have the conversation. That needs to happen. And that will be a, another topic that we will talk about. But just getting back into, you know, those were the, uh, the four negative communication patterns that the disasters were displaying in the love lab. So if you started to display those, per, I mean, obviously, particularly contempt, um, or if you had a bunch of those going on, all four going on, then yeah, you would find yourself in that disasters category. The cool thing with this is that all of the four horsemen have antidotes and there is opportunities to get from a disaster to a master. And the ways in which you can do that is not just by hoping <laughs> that this will change. The ways in which you do this are you, you find a therapist, particularly in my opinion, a therapist who works with the Gottman method, especially if any of this rang um, true to you or connected to you. Find a therapist who works with the Gottman method. Pick up Dr. Gottman's book, The Seven Principles to Making Marriage Work. Start reading it. Start getting familiar with the language. And then find a therapist that can help you. Help you go from a disaster to a master. Help you get a house that feels connected and loving and respectful. And like I always say, that cannot happen without energy, intention, and effort. And if you are willing to put those three things in every single day, you can truly get yourself from a disaster of a relationship into being a master of your relationship. And that is where we don't just survive, but we thrive. So many couples come in and they are what well, they are basically surviving. <laughs> they are getting through. And I want you to thrive. I want your marriage to be fun and enjoyable and exciting and sexy and just full of laughter. And it can be that way, but you do have to work for it. So find a therapist make an appointment, start going, and don't waste your money if you're not going to put in the energy, intention, and effort. Because if you don't do those things outside of the therapy office, you will be burning money. I promise you that. If you want any recommendations from anywhere in the country, I can actually also, I take on clients, um, I do retreats, I do courses. So always reach out to me if you're looking for more information um, on ways to get your relationship in a more loving space. All right, guys, stay safe, keep up the fight, and we'll talk soon.